Hey y'all, welcome to Power to Lead Her. Power to Lead Her is an initiative to inspire and empower women across the world to pursue leadership roles in their careers. Tune into the podcast and join me as I interview dynamic, diverse, and successful women who share their inspiring leadership stories. Today, I have another special guest. Rebecca Harding is the CEO and founder of Clover Strategic Consulting. We are extremely excited to talk to her today about her incredible career journey in the leadership space. Rebecca Harding is an organizational leader and museum consultant dedicated to creating human-centered processes, boosting individual and team performance, and increasing audience engagement through program design and evaluation. She works as the Associate Director of Learning and Engagement at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute in Simi Valley. Prior to this, she formally designed and expanded the education outreach programs at the Autry Museum of the American West. She serves as the Secretary of the Education Committee of the American Alliance of Museums Professional Networks and as the past president of the Museum Educators of Southern California. Hi, Ms. Rebecca. Welcome to my podcast. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So let's dive right in. Um, Can you please give us a brief introduction about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, my name is Rebecca Harding. I currently am the Associate Director of Learning and Engagement at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. I am also the CEO and founder of Clover Strategic Consulting. I have worked in the education space almost my entire adult life. Um, My love of learning started when I used to teach outdoor science camp, which was just hiking kids around, teaching them about the earth and how they should preserve it. Uh, And then I found museums about almost 10 years ago and really was able to meld my two passions of teaching and history together. Um, And I've been doing that ever since. I've been in museums and now uh, specifically I'm working in the field of civic engagement leadership and then also working with organizations um, to create more diverse and inclusive spaces. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Oh, and I'm also a mom. Sorry, I always got to throw that in there. I'm a mom of two beautiful children um, that are six and seven. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Can you tell us about um, why you chose to become a museum consultant and your journey as the past president of the Museum Educators of Southern California? Sure. So I actually fell into museums. I have always loved museums. Um, I went to, I used to grow up in New York. And when we lived in upstate, my mom and dad used to take us down to the city occasionally. And New York City is just such a beautiful landscape for museums. So I remember going to the Met. I remember going to the Natural History Museum. And those were just some really fond memories from when I was a child. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, when I was in college, I wanted to be a teacher. And when I tried to enter teaching, it was when the stock market crashed in 2008. The economy was not doing so good. Education uh, as a profession was really challenging. And so I did what any young adult at that time does, which is I postponed adulting and I went to graduate school and got my degree in my master's degree in history. And while I was there, Uh, at a local university in Los Angeles, um, I noticed that there wasn't a real thriving community amongst the students, um, given that it was a commuter school. So I started organizing and I started an Associated Graduate Students of History. I wanted to create community where we could learn from one another. 
And part of that was inviting past alumni back to talk about their career paths. And um, a gentleman named Eric Greenberg, who just happened to be an alumni, was currently serving as the director of education at the Autry Museum of the American West. And he came out and talked to us about how with a history degree, you can go into museums and what that work looks like. And he said, if anyone in the audience writes him a good cover letter and sends him a decent resume, he will give us a internship. And so that's exactly what I did. I left that meeting. I sent him a, what I thought at the time was a decent cover letter uh, and my resume. And I started an internship um, teaching kids about the old West and the gold rush and how to pan for gold. Um, and then I just happened to be at the right place at the right time when they had a job open up and my career kind of just blossomed from there. Um, museums for me was a way in which for me to connect my two passions of connecting and, and engaging with students in a really vivacious and informal way. Like in museums, I don't have to worry about homework. I don't have to grade papers or tests, but instead I can be really playful with how I present information to students to make a difference. Um, and I guess in retrospect, thinking back to kind of my organizing days of my youth <laughs> and graduate school, I've always continuously been seeking community. Um, and so I've actively am involved in a lot of professional networks. Um, I currently serve on the board for um, the Education Committee of the American Alliance of Museums. And that led me to my work with the Museum Educators of Southern California. Um, they had an open call looking for volunteers to help them with strategic planning. And I raised my hand and got heavily involved. And um, Museum Educators of Southern California, we, we go by the uh, acronym MESC. So at MESC, it's all about museum professionals who are specifically interested in education coming together to help one another grow um, and progress their careers. So for me, I just thrived in that space. Um, being a, a leader uh, in kind of showing the pathway that I took within museums, but also being an advocate in saying, we all work in museums, but we also wanna continue to grow. So how can we be our own advocates? How can we find professional development opportunities? How can we look for those promotional opportunities within our own institutions? Um, and then how can we push the field to be a more diverse and inclusive space? And so I found, I found my community in MESC um, and I was very grateful that I got to grow with the organization and eventually become president, which was a real ride <laughs> and it was, uh, a lot of people think that sometimes you get a leadership title and you're like, that's it. Um, for me, it was understanding that I was now the president of a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, and that was a lot of weight to carry. Um, so I wanted to make sure I did right by the organization, that I did right by the board that I was serving. Um, and I'm actually kind of sad that my tenure as past president ends in a couple of months. So I'll have to find some new community to, to dive into. <laughs> No, yeah, that was incredible. I can definitely connect with that, um, that I've always loved visiting museums since I was very young and like exploring artifacts like ancient history. That was something mm -hmm. that always like amazed me. And that yeah. really provided a great insight on like the job and your role as a museum consultant. I'm um, talking about your experience at the Autry Museum. Can you please describe your work there? Sure. So when I started out at the Autry, I mean, I, I literally took the first job that was available to me. And so, um, you know, as a young graduate student, I was hungry for work. And the only position that they had open was a weekend teacher. 
And literally what my weekend teaching uh, responsibilities was, was to teach the public how to pan for gold. <laughs> so I would stand in front of a gold sluice for eight hours and just interact with guests as they would come, teaching them how to pan for gold. Um, and then over time, my responsibilities increased as opportunities presented themselves. Um, I luckily was asked to take on developing the Autry's outreach education programs. So they received a grant, they needed someone to very quickly put together programs for elementary and middle school and high school students. And I was again at the right place at the right time. And so I got to develop two different programs. One was called Autry Classroom Curators. That was for middle school and high school students. We would partner with a teacher for about six weeks and we would teach them what curating an exhibit looked like. So they would learn history, but then get to apply it by creating a either a museum exhibition or a public performance or a public program. So it was really neat to be able to share with students kind of the art of museums and what we do behind the scenes to put on everything. And watching students who had never picked up a paintbrush before put together a beautiful mural and then describe it and talk about how their research, you know, informed their painting was really meaningful work. Um, and then I got to create um, Autry, oh gosh, what was the name of that? What was the name of that program now? Hmm. I think it was called Autry in Residence, uh, where we would then work with elementary school students and we would work with grades three, four, and five, and we would teach history through exploring objects. So I used to pack up my car with three different types of trunks that were just filled with historical replicas and then take them into the classroom and teach them how to be um, archivists and uh, historians by examining objects and documents from the past and then piecing together a story. Yeah, that's so amazing. Thank you for sharing that kind of leadership it takes to like drive and lead programs in museum setting. And it's also like pretty essential to advance areas of accessibility and like inclusion through these programs. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, the neatest um, parts about my career throughout museums is finding opportunities to share uh, the beauty of museums with individuals who maybe don't recognize museums as a space for them. Um, but welcoming them in, having them see just like the glorious um, experience that someone can have uh, just by visiting a museum. Yeah, definitely. The connection is always so remarkable. Um, can you please share with us your work as the Associate Director at the Ronald Reagan Foundation? Sure. So I've been at the Reagan Foundation for about five years now. And when I was looking to make a change in my career and kind of grow beyond what the Autry was offering, um, I wanted to work at a museum that really centered their work on education. Um, education is, is always the thing that we tout when we're looking for donors, um, but sometimes it's not what we support internally. Um, and the Reagan Foundation truly believes that education is one of its pillars. And so when I shifted over to there, the work was a little different in the sense that it now focused on leadership development for students aged grade five all the way through to college, um, but also a civic education component. So teaching students how to be leaders and why it's important for them to be leaders was really, it was really neat. I got to work with many different age levels. So the programs that I oversee, we run a national student debate competition for high school students. So I would travel around the US for about six months out the year hosting these debate competitions. Um, 
where students are really critically analyzing issues that are happening in our nation and um, uh, and trying to you know provide solutions on how we can move forward, uh, but doing so in a way that focuses on civil discourse. Like how can we agree to disagree and challenge each other without being jerks is it in a nutshell. Um, and then I also oversee our student leadership program, which is a one week leadership development camp for um, high school students. And along with that, I also oversee our university internship program that we run every summer where the interns actually serve as the mentors for the high school students in the uh, student leadership program. So everything that we do at the Reagan is all about cultivating the next generation of citizen leaders. We want students to recognize that they have the ability to lead within, um, that they don't have to wait until they are an adult to start leading and making an impact. Um, we want them to feel confident when they are speaking with others about things that matter to them. Uh, and we want to give them support so that they can make that impact where they see fit within their own communities. Yeah, I can definitely see the uh, Reagan Foundation is very pivotal to inspiring um, and empowering youth leadership. And these access to mentors and leaders can like greatly benefit students and open them up to more opportunities. Absolutely. Why, why do you think leadership to the younger generation is very important? I mean, leadership matters because it's a skill. I, I like to describe leadership as a muscle. Right. Everyone has the muscle. You have the ability to work it out and train it and refine it so that it's optimizing at all times, or you have the ability to not. And leadership is something that anyone can do from young, from a very young age to beyond. And my, the way I look at leadership, it's not about hierarchy, right? It's not about a person and the imposition of power. Leadership is the ability to inspire action from those around you. Um, and so I'm, I'm very passionate about servant leadership, that looking at any time you have a leadership opportunity, it is an opportunity to serve others, um, either those who are in your care or staff members that might be working alongside you. Um, but that again, we really focus on the human component, the connection between the individuals doing the work and the individuals receiving the work. And I think for young people, especially today, you are growing up in an age where you have access to knowledge like no other previous generation. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't really have home computers and the internet was not a thing. And so um, our ability to, to know and understand the greater global world was, was limited. And I think today the youth can see what's happening in the world. They can see the problems. Um, and because of that access to information and the way in which this generation is being raised, they have the ability to do something about it instead of just waiting. Um, and so teaching students, again, to identify what's passionate, like what are you passionate about? Where do you wanna make an impact? And who is your community is incredibly important because it allows us to have civic leaders, individuals who are benefiting their community, without necessarily needing, you know, the title of a presidency. Um, and that's something that will go on and serve students throughout their entire career. Um, I consistently tell students leadership is all about showing up um, and staying motivated. Like if you can do those two things, if you can show up 
and you can stay motivated and help motivate others, you're going to go far. Um, that will translate into your personal relationships. It'll translate into your professional relationships and impact your career. Um, and then you'll really be able to carve out uh, a pathway forward that you're really proud of. Yeah, I surely agree. Since leadership is like extremely vital to growing our communities and especially for the younger generation, like seeking out for help and making use of these available resources you have are key to effective leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of your more current role, um, we would love to learn more about how you founded Clover Strategic Consulting. Sure. So this is pretty recent. So I, um, like I said, I've been in museums for about 10 years and I've been professionally involved in all of these different professional networks. And the way my brain works is I can see both the macro and the micro at the same time. So I can see an entire system, how the system is interacting and identify areas in which uh, the system needs help or support. And what I was recognizing throughout all of my work within museums is that museums as an organization need help. Um, they need the ability to think about how do they stay relevant uh, to their communities? How can they impact their communities in positive ways? Um, and also think about you know, how they apply all those business models <laughs> to make sure that they're generating revenue, keeping their doors open. And that's a huge task because um, most museums are nonprofits. Um, most museums um, kind of have an, uh, an, I would say an antiquated way in which they operate. Um, and we are in a society now that is asking for bold changes, that is asking really tough questions about our history, about our communities, about leadership. And um, museums are some of the most trusted institutions in the American public's eyes. And so I believe that museums are strategically placed to really have an impact on their communities. But sometimes they don't know how to get there. And with my brain, with the way it works, I was like, I have something to offer. And so I want to be able to help organizations kind of do some landscape research on where they're at, where they wanna be and help them develop the roadmap forward. And so um, a few people in my industry had just kind of been saying, you should think about consulting. You should think about consulting. Um, and I kept putting it off. And I actually have to attribute the motivation to my, to my husband. He's an entrepreneur. He's owned several businesses. Um, he's a risk taker. And you know, he really just sat me down one day and said, you have something to offer. And I think you will get a lot of enjoyment out of it and you should just try. And so I did, I put that energy out into the world and said, all right, universe, if this is what I should be doing, let me know. And within a couple of months, I had several organizations reach out who were interested in talking about um, racial equity work, um, strategic planning, uh, communication and team building, leadership opportunities. And what I love about consulting is I get the ability to work with a variety of different organizations who are all tackling some of the really big problems. Um, and I get to help them like uncover uh, interesting solutions out of the box approaches uh, to how they can increase their impact and, and relevancy within their community. Um, and so I made it official at the end of last year, I decided I was going to make an LLC. I was going to start my consulting business, do a website, do the whole thing. And so it's been a really fun 
opportunity for me to flex my own creativity um, and take a little risk taking on. Yeah, that's extremely cool to hear about like the business perspective and what it takes to organize events and help organizations with future plans to um, increase diversity and leadership. Yeah. What were some of the challenges you faced when founding your own consulting firm? Oh, Lord. Um, I would say first and foremost, confidence. Um, I think that when you work for an organization, there's comfort in that, um, that, you know, there's a paycheck coming and you, someone else is setting the expectations on what you need to do to achieve. And when you're stepping out on your own and building your own business, you are doing all of that, right? Like you have to be the one who um, tells yourself you can do it. Um, you have to be the one to put in the man and woman hours to get it done. So it means deciding I would actually say it means prioritizing what's important. So for me, it was, all right, I work a full-time job. I also want to start my own consulting business at the same time. I need to prioritize my life. Um, and so it came down to simplifying certain things like meal prepping. So I didn't have to spend as much time cooking for my family. <laughs> Help me get an extra 30 minutes that I could, you know, devote uh, to sending emails or working on my website. Um, it was taking a big giant mountain and carving out what the path is going to be to get up to the top. Um, so finding ways I could take really big tasks and boil them down into um, smaller actions that I could fit in throughout my day. That was a really big challenge. Um, but it was really rewarding to go through those challenges. Uh, a very good friend of mine said, you'll never know if your parachute is there until you jump. And uh, I was like, right, but you don't want to jump without a parachute. How terrible. What if I jump and there's no parachute? <laughs> and she said something really wonderful. She goes, you know, what, in my experience, anytime that someone's ready to jump, she goes, the parachute has always been there. You just didn't feel the weight of it. Um, and she was absolutely right. The second that I decided to really devote my time and energy and find that confidence in myself to push forward and motivate myself towards working, um, building my own business, my parachute was there and the parachute was built off of all of the hard work and the relationships that I have developed professionally over the past, you know, 15 years, um, individuals were supportive. They were willing to, you know, share my name out and, um, uh, and really put their name behind my new business. And so going through all of those challenges and, and navigating all of those things and, and learning a lot, learning how to start a business with something brand new, um, was incredibly rewarding in seeing that the parachute that I've been crafting over the past 15 years was always there. Wow, that parachute um, analogy was a really great saying. It's really motivational to hear that a good work ethic is always essential to take on more tasks with ease and later on, it'll always be rewarding. Absolutely, I'd say a good work ethic and, and, and building relationships um, and building relationships without the intention of, of receiving something from them, but really as you invest in, in others, people will reciprocate and invest in you. Definitely, I completely agree. Um, our podcast audience includes high schoolers and early college students. What is your advice for young women interested in pursuing a career in like business consulting or even going through the leadership path? 
Sure. So one thing that I would say, um, there's a statistic that I heard once, um, and I definitely sub subscribed to it uh, and was frustrated that I learned this in my in my late 30s, was that women only apply for opportunities or jobs that they feel they're 100% um, qualified for, whereas men will apply for something that they only have 60% of the skills that are necessary for that job. And when I heard that statistic, I first wanted to reject it wholeheartedly. And then I started reflecting and thinking back to how many times I didn't apply for a position because I felt like it was out of my reach. And um, I'm, I'm a slight perfectionist, <laughs> which is why risk-taking is challenging for me. Um, but you know, as I have grown and developed throughout my career, I would say, raise your hand. Um, take those opportunities, even if you don't feel that you're going to be 100 successful at them. Um, you learn so much about yourself through the process. So for instance, in the path that led me to starting my own business at the age of 40 was because two years ago, I started applying for museum director positions, which I thought were so far outside of my reach. But in going through the interview process and even being offered different job opportunities over the past two years um, that I ultimately ended up declining, I learned that I had the skills needed. I learned what my individual perspective was, what strengths I bring to the table that are unique that others don't have. And I think as women, very often we want to put perfection first. Um, and that we fear rejection. And what I've recognized is that I grow more as an individual, the more comfortable I am with fear. Um, there's always something for me to learn with every single rejection that I take on the chin. Um, and being able to think through that process, being able to be reflective and recognize that every struggle, every hardship, every no, um, there was a lesson that I needed to learn in that. And um, so I think for young individuals, I encourage them to dream big and to chase after opportunities, um, build relationships with mentors along the way. Um, and, you know, be okay with failing. Uh, I like to say that we should fail forward, that failure is a total part of the growth process and you can't grow without failure. And so if you can think about that through your leadership journey or your career development, is that with every failure, there was a lesson for you to learn and it's just going to propel you forward to where you want to go. Um, you know, you're going to go far. I wish I could tell my younger self that. Thank you. That was really inspirational. I 100% agree that increasing diversity and women empowerment in industries is extremely important. And it's always crucial and critical to stand for your own values. Absolutely. Um, I think that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much, Mrs. Rebecca, for a wonderful episode. Well, this was so wonderful. I really appreciate it. And um, always keep in touch. I love having you in my network. And please let me know what I can do to continue to support your efforts. Of course. Thank you so much for joining me today. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning in and make sure to hit the subscribe button. I'll be back soon with another interesting interview. Stay safe and healthy.